0: Welcome to Album Clash, the podcast in which we take two albums that share a connection and put them against each other inside the ring of dead. Dead. Two albums enter, only one may leave. Metapholic. This is Album Clash. Bonjour et bienvenue à Album Clash.
1: Je m'appelle Tim. Je m'appelle Gavon.
0: Et voici le premier épisode uh, de la quatrième album Clash. Like, right, that's quite enough French. Oui, oui, So yeah, this is the first part of our fourth Clash. This week, we're going to be going through Daft Punk's debut album, Homework. Next week, we'll go through Air's debut album, Moon Safari. And um, yeah, the connection's pretty obvious, isn't it, really?
1: Yeah, a bit of a, a lovely bit of French Electro. I mean, we we can talk all kinds of French things, maybe not so much on the asterisks and obelisks, but, you know. Lots of Gaelic shrugging, I think, on this clash. Oh, yeah, absolutely loads of bars. I'm, like, going to be puffing away here.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, as Kev said, main connection between these two albums, French electronic music. There are a couple of other connections. So the two bands were, in fact, contemporaries in Paris in the mid-'90s. Both albums were released uh, as debut albums, as we've said. They were both released on Virgin Records. And as we shall discover, there is another connection between the two bands, and that is the famous Coppola family uh, of Francis Ford fame. So we'll get into that a little bit.
1: Yeah. um, So before we get into that, um, obviously, we have our previous feature, which we have introduced into Album Clash, which is Can't Get You Out of My Head. So... As as this is uh, your choice, I will allow you to go first. So what songs have you... What shite has been stuck in your head and what, what good stuff has been uh, rolling around? Right, so
0: you know when you're listening to something good and it reminds you of something similar but shite. Do you ever get that? Yes. Okay, so um, I've recently had stuck in my head the uh, 2000 smash hit single by Glamour Kid bills to pay wow i've not heard that for ages <laughs> and so the reason i've got it stuck in my head is i was listening to rapture by blondie which is a fucking tune let's just say
1: yeah without question
0: and obviously bills to pay samples rapture so i was listening to that and uh,
1: yeah, so uh, that's been annoying. What about you? Okay, um, so in terms of the shite, so again, not to pull back the, uh, the album Clash production curtain, but we, d- we do occasionally have chats before we record this. There's nothing written down, but we at least have a chat to try and form s- some form of structure. And whilst we were talking about it, I happened to mention that a song that I'd been listening, that I'd heard loads of recently, because it's on an advert, is Enola Gay by orchestral manoeuvres in the dark. Unfortunately, because I was thinking about OMD, the way your brain sort of makes links, it forced me to then think about Andy McCluskey. Andy McCluskey of OMD was responsible for Atomic Kitten. (laughs) I didn't know that. So I've had Hole Again by Atomic Kitten stuck in my head for a couple of days and I've wanted to stab a lot. You could have gone with a double Blondie connection there because didn't they also cover Tide as High? Yes, I could have gone for the double, the execrable cover that they did, but no, it's definitely the um, hole again that I've had stuck in my head and that has not been a good time. Now, Kevin, you've seen a com- Atomic Kitten live. Well, yes, technically I've seen them live because um, at a Liverpool game, they did a halftime performance which was roundly booed. By the uh, <laughs> by, the crowd, and one of them, one of the performers, um, one of the kittens, I, I suppose I would say, exhorted Wiley to- Kit, <laughs> exhorted to the um, cop, come on, we want to see your hands. I cannot confirm or deny what hand gestures were um, <laughs> were given back because I don't I don't stand in that stand.
0: Magnificent,
1: yeah. So that's that's been stuck in my head
0: enough of that silliness uh onto some good stuff that's been that's been stuck in my head so an oldie for me uh i have been listening to uh the album chelsea girl by nico that
1: is nico
0: of the velvet underground and nico fame
1: oh yes that's um you you have you have delved well sir
0: so it's 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 for those who don't know um Uh, Nico It's it's basically a folk album It's recorded in 1967 Most of the members of Velvet Underground Play on the album It's named Chelsea Girl After the Andy Warhol painting uh, Of that name And it's just a really nice folk album And in particular So we are uh, back end of March 2021 Spring is springing And the first track on the album The Fairest of the Seasons
1: Is just a lovely, lovely song Well, I mean that's chelsea girl is a, is an album that I, that I have heard but it's not one that i've heard for a long time so i will i will definitely go and check that out um in terms of the good stuff that or the good thing that i've come across um it's something a, a lot newer so i'm not sure if the listeners are aware of the band the avalanches they i mean and, and seem quite apt um given the t- the two bands that we're we're going to be talking about they have a, a similar Similar style, similar, sim, similar in in terms of the genre. Um, they released an an album which completely passed me by at the end of uh, in December 2020, which was called We Will Always Love You. So they've recently released their seventh single uh off the album, which is called uh We Go On, which features Cola Boy, um who is a dance, a dance hall singer, and Mick Jones of the Clash of the Clash Fame. And it all, it's a lovely bit of electro with a, I can only describe it as an insistent Karen Carpenter sample that absolutely earworms its way into your head. It's like to, today alone, I've listened, I've heard it about three or four times because I've just played. Like honestly, it's an absolute banger, and I'm, I really like it. So I, it's a strong recommend.
0: Right, I'm gonna. I didn't know they'd released an album either, so I'm gonna go and listen to that. Just
1: did you say seventh single? seven single, yeah that's a lot of singles off one album <laughs> it's a long old album because i had a i had to look at it um earlier today and i think there's there's about 24 songs on it but given that it's a avalanche's album there's some one minute ones and you know that kind that kind of thing but like nowadays like releasing a single isn't really the same as previously releasing a single like you can release seven from it and it's it doesn't really matter
0: essentially yeah no that's a fair point Oh, very good. So, yeah, that is what we have not been able to get out of our head this week. So, without further ado, should we begin going through Daft Punk's homework? Yes, I believe we should. So, I'm going to lead taking us through homework. I mean, this this was my choice, and I'm really excited to go through these albums. I I chose it because, as I mentioned at the end of the last show, Daft Punk have recently announced that they are uh, hanging up their robot heads, after 25 years plus uh, together, and I wanted to honour that by uh, talking shite about their first album.
1: 25 years in a robot, imagine the smell.
0: That's going to hum to high heaven. (laughs) Imagine the amount of WD-40 they've got through. (laughs) Okay, okay. So, as we usually do, I'll start taking us through the background of the album and then we'll start going through uh, a few more things and then go through track by track. So Daft Punk, uh, Homework, was the debut album, originally released in January 1997, as I said, jointly on on Virgin Records and Soma quality recordings. Daft Punk is the French electronic duo uh, featuring Thomas Van Gelter and Guy Manuel d'Armond Christo. Lovely pronunciation there. Thank you very much. Um, They formed in 93. Uh, after they'd previously been in a, an indie band called Darling, uh, and that band had split. And the name Daft Punk, are you aware of where they got the name Daft Punk from?
1: Yes. Um, so, I mean, you can probably tidy tidy up my half-remembered explanation, but I believe it was this indie band that they were in, the, there was a review in the Melody Maker, which basically described their music as Daft Punk. I, there's nothing to tidy up there. That's
0: exactly, that is exactly how they got the name Daft Punk. Bangalta liked it. It stuck. So so there you go. They uh, <laughs> they got a record deal as Daft Punk. And I, this is perhaps the most 90s sentence <laughs> I'm, I'm ever going to speak. In 1993, they were attending a rave at Euro Disney. <laughs> and there they they met uh, Stuart McMillan, who is the co-founder of, of, of Soma Quality Recordings. They gave him a cassette uh, featuring a demo of their stuff uh, and and actually what was on that cassette formed the basis of their first EP called The New Wave, which they released in 1994 on SOMA. Through SOMA in 95, they released single uh, Da Funk, which made its way onto Homework. The B-side to that was Rolling and Scratching, which also made its way onto Homework. And basically th- those singles had started to get traction on on the club scene. In particular, the Chemical Brothers had started playing Daft Punk stuff uh, in a lot of their DJ sets, so started to get a bit of traction. And that basically triggered a bit of a a bidding war with the major labels for, for their signatures and ultimately Virgin won out and they signed with Virgin in 96. So it's a quote here from Richard Brown, who was one of the co-founders of Soma, he said, we're obviously sad to lose them to Virgin, but they had the chance to go big, which they wanted. And it's not very often that a band has a chance after two singles, we're happy for them. One of the significant things about that deal with Virgin was it gave them complete control over their masters, which was a great deal of foresight, really. And obviously, there's particularly in the 90s, there was so many stories of artists becoming disenfranchised because the record companies wouldn't let them have control of their masters, George Michael and Prince being certainly two of the most notable ones. So for Daft Punk to have that included within their contract, and there was a trade-off between the amount of money they were going to earn. I think that's uh, quite a remarkable foresight.
1: Can I um, – sorry, I am just going to roll us back a little bit because I, wa- I, de- I honestly want to know more about the rave at Euro Disney. I want to know whether um, – whether Donald Duck is like his eyes were rolling back in his head and like was absolutely gurning his face off, like I, I need I need to know more about what that constituted. I I I I assume you haven't got more. Goofy was off his tits
0: and was doing all sorts of unpleasant stuff to Bluto. That's that's the rumor <laughs> that's going around. And uh, and uh, well, many many um Minnie Mouse would let
1: go of all of their inhibitions. <laughs> And we won't even talk about what Chip and Dale were doing. <laughs> I just love that <laughs>
0: we're at a rave at Euro Disney. Uh, it's just—it's brilliant. I mean, at least at least someone was going to Euro Disney in the early '90s. That's what we should say.
1: Well, exactly. Yeah, the, like they had to have a rave there because it was essentially an abandoned theme park. They probably would have found a <laughs> Scooby-Doo villain. <laughs>
0: <laughs> bravos <sir>. that's magnificent <laughs> oh dear uh, do you know what I, I don't really want to go back to talking about the owning of master recordings <laughs> now i do just oh. want to talk about the, the euro disney ray <laughs> oh dear um however back to the, the matter at hand so yeah they, they got a trade-off they accepted less money to have control of the master recordings which they re- retained on their own Daft Tracks label. So Thomas Bangalter said, uh, this is an interview with Yahoo Music in, back in 2001. He said, to be free, we had to be in control. To be in control, we had to finance what we were doing ourselves. The main idea was to be free. We've got much more control than money. You can't have everything. We live in a society where money is what people want, so they can't get the control. We chose control so uh yeah again i think that's that's that speaks to the creative freedom that they display throughout their careers really
1: yeah and it's it's admirable really The they prioritize their artistic vision over the pure cash and and from from the start as well i mean that's yeah. it's a brave old choice cuz you you believe in, in the artistic vision that you you're putting forward, but there's no guarantee anyone's going to buy it. Exactly. So yeah, fair play to them. And they were always, so we talked earlier about the robot
0: heads and made a joke, but they were always wanted to have that slight air of anonymity. This time they weren't wearing the the robot heads. That didn't come until Discovery, the second album in 2001, but they were often wearing pig masks or within interviews or having their faces pixelated for photographs and stuff. So they always wanted some degree of anonymity as well.
1: Yeah. I've seen a picture of them. I think they were, they had an interview in, in the face magazine. I mean, again, again, like that's pure nineties, really. And like their faces are covered with, I think it's cake. Cause again, like keeping that image, that anonymity and um, again, again, making it about the music really. So we're talking cake
0: in the sort of eggs, flour, sugar sense, not the um, brass eye.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we haven't gone that far into into the 90s (laughs) in order to bring in brass eye as well. Let's move on.
0: I want to pick up on this point, because I do think when we started going through the tracks, it's something we'll come back to. They originally hadn't intended to release the tracks on homework as an album. It was supposed to be a collection of, Singles. So Thomas Bangalter himself said, it was supposed to be just a load of singles, but we did so many tracks over a period of five months that we realised we had a good album. Um, uh, Without going too much into the tracks now, I think you can hear that on some of the tracks, that they hadn't yet learned, it sounds like a wanky phrase, but album craft.
1: Yeah, it doesn't. And I mean, again, this is sort of going into talking about the, the album as a whole, it's it's a collection of sing, it's a singles collection. It isn't it isn't a unified piece. Essentially, it, it doesn't. Some elements don't necessarily flow as well as they as they as they could do. But obviously, will we we shall get into that.
0: Yeah, we shall indeed. So the name Homework came. Oh, again, I'll cut Thomas Bangalter himself. We made the record at home, very cheaply, very quickly, and spontaneously, uh, trying to do cool stuff. Uh, so, hence, influencing the title of the album as being homework. Now, the artwork—we always talk about the artwork. The artwork features the now ubiquitous—and this is the correct use of the word ubiquitous—the Daft Punk logo embroidered on like a black satin cloth in in sort of fine red uh, thread with a sort of gold outline and. As simple as it is, it's classic.
1: Yeah, it's it's re- it's really effective, and it, I think I think the important thing is is that they they set out their their image, their key style with with that at the at, at the beginning because the subsequent subsequent albums sort of developed upon that upon that theme, yeah. really. Yeah. So the, the logo itself,
0: the band designed it themselves. The cover design was photographed by Nicola Hideroglu. Uh, I apologise if I haven't pronounced that correctly, but I've given it my best shot. Um, as you said, it's become it's become synonymous with the band. That logo, I've got to say, if they made a jacket, a black satin jacket with that logo on the back, I'd buy it in a flash.
1: <laughs> I mean, it it would it would look boss. I'm not sure that it would necessarily look boss on. Either one of us, but <laughs> I'm not going to deny that that it would look... I, I would be tempted and then probably be uh, dissuaded from buying it by people who love and care about me. So have you ever seen the film Drive
0: with Ryan Gosling?
1: Yes. So
0: the, the silver satin jacket he wears with the scorpion on the back, that's cool
1: as fuck, that jacket. And I've always really wanted one. But yeah, I just think if I bought one, it would look shit. Yeah, because you kind of have to be Ryan Gosling to get away with it. (laughs) It's it's one of them things. But at least I can eat my
0: cereal. (laughs) That's a a long-time Twitter callback, That (laughs) All right. Um, So uh, we are in quite a silly mood this week. Yeah, it does does feel that way. Uh, So before we start going through uh, the album tracks, when was the first time you came across Homework?
1: So I... I think I mean, as as we will get into the the two two of the the main singles from it were they were everywhere. You couldn't you couldn't avoid them. So I was aware of Daft Punk around the around the time that this was released. I think that like I I may like I, I listened to Homework at the time, but I think it's only I think it's only when the second album Discovery came out that I really I, I went back. And listen to this Um, because I I heard the singles like yeah I like I like some stuff off it some others I'm I'm not necessarily banging into, but Discovery was was the thing that really made me come back to it I would say so
0: I was I was sort of in on the ground floor with this I heard Da Funk when they released it in 96 and fucking hell I loved it I loved it at the time and I thought yeah okay um, so when they released the album, I uh, I didn't buy it. What I did, one of my mates bought it. So uh, I, and again, 90s, 90s callback here, I got me a
1: C90 and recorded it onto a cassette. Oh, yeah. I mean, did you go to the point of of that getting passed around um, your mates? And it, the... The, um, yes. aud- the audio quality declines every time it's a tape to tape record. Because yes. I had a I had a yes. copy of um, "It's a Shame About Ray" that had been recorded that many times on uh, from various cassettes. That it it sounded as though y- the speaker was underwater.
0: <laughs> it sounded like a recording of Robert Johnson from the 30s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, but my mine was the original piracy, piracy is Wrong kids. Piracy funds terrorism. Don't do it. Home taping is killing music. <laughs> so, I've got some some of my old vinyl, some of my old craftwork work vinyls have got that on the album. <laughs> the, the, uh, the dust jacket. It says it. it's brilliant. <laughs> uh, anyway. So yeah, I I I uh I, I I wanted in right from the start on on this album. And uh, as we'll get into, it's something that's well, so we mentioned on the last podcast that by 97 the Britpop indie guitar music bubble whatever you want to call it, it was starting to show signs of strain if it if by if in January 1997 Be Here Now hadn't come along to completely burst it and even me I was starting to expand into listening to other things so my brother's older than me he was at uni in the mid nineties and he was coming back and he would got me into like, I said the chemical brothers and left field and all that stuff. So I was starting to branch out, listen to other things. And then this came along, as I say, early 97. I was like, yeah, I'll have me some of that. Thanks very much.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like as I, as I say the my introduction to it was, was much more the commercial route The as we, as we will talk about the defunct around the world became so big and the, and I think what we can talk about with the with both these albums as well, which is which is a link, is the importance of music videos. Um definitely. Because I think whilst Defunct is an absolute banger, I think the fact that it had such a such a well-known and um iconic video, much like um much like the air, like air as well, the it, it definitely helped help the the album sales and people's knowledge of the band as well you're absolutely right
0: you're absolutely right and we will we will talk about the videos and the people they got to direct the videos because that's a list of names oh god yeah right okay so we've got 17 tracks to get through so shall we dive in yeah I think we be- we best crack on so we start off with uh, Daft and direct apparently it's it's a live recording it's an excerpt of a live performance at the very first I love techno festival. Uh, in Ghent in Belgium in
1: 1995 of course of course that's like so of all the <laughs> the festivals known as I love techno it's going to be either in Ghent in Belgium or it's going to be it's going to be Rotterdam it's one it's, of the two
0: yeah i mean i love techno's it's got it's benelux isn't it it's got to be benelux it's so benelux <laughs> <laughs> um it's got little elements from Da Funk and they go on in their in their live gigs to basically play the two mix the two songs into each other. The promotional tour that they went on to uh to promote the album was called the Dath and Direct tour. In terms so I, I spent when I was going through this album I spent a lot of time on who sampled.com again not peeling back the curtain too much guys but uh, it's a great website. <laughs> I spent a lot of time on it. Uh, so this uh, as the next couple of tracks, contains a drum sample from "Bounce Rock Skate and Roll" by Vaughan Mason and Crew, which, by the way, is a great song. I listened to I listened to the whole song after listening to that. It's
1: funky as hell. Right, I, I I definitely want to like. If I get anything at all from from this um, album clash, I definitely want to hear that. It's great. Apparently,
0: it was later sampled itself uh, by Janet Jackson on her single "So Much Better" in two thousand and eight. Hmm. Right, my thoughts on this track. It's short. It's only a couple of minutes, just under three minutes, and it's not much that happens. But I think the 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 bass and the beats are fucking huge right from the start. You're like, okay, I know what we're in for.
1: It's a it's a nice for me. It's a nice slow build into the in into the album, and yeah, like as it was used as the intro to the live shows, and you can see you can see exactly why that was effective. So it it builds up and and pulls you into the album.
0: Yeah, it, it does. My only wish is that it, it in itself developed into something more. But like you said, it pulls you into the album, particularly the couple of tracks that follow. You can see how they lead on from each other. Really solid start.
1: As you say, I could do with a little bit more of it and maybe a bit of development in it. But, I mean, that's nitpicking, really. Yeah. Okay, then we move on to the next
0: track. Only very short one. WDPK 83.7 FM. It's a tribute to sort of, you know, US FM radio stations?
1: Yeah, uh, it, it's a bit nothing. It works as a bridge between the opener and the next song, really. That's all That's all I noted down. It. I don't really care about it. But. No, that's fair. So
0: a couple of things. So it, the uh, music little interlude within it is from the song Music, which was the B-side to the re-release of Da Funk on Virgin. Which in itself is a really good tune, actually. I'd recommend people go and listen to music. It's a shame it didn't make it onto the album because it's a great, it's a great tune. And this style of, and I don't know they only did it on this track, but aping a radio announcement, put me in mind of um Queens
1: of the Stone Age Songs for the Deaf, because they did that throughout that album. I was about to say that like it did make me think, think of um of that of that particular album, but that's just because of the radio link more than anything else. But Yeah. It's, it doesn't stay around long enough to, to irritate me. It's fine. It's, it's just, it's, it's a bit of filler. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about it for longer than the track itself. (laughs) Exactly. So probably time to move on.
0: Yeah. And we're on to Revolution 909. So this was the final single release from the album, February, 1998. The video was directed by Roman Coppola, son of Francis Ford. And that's, I said one of the things that links the the two artists. We'll talk next week about the link between Air uh, and and the Coppola family. If anyone remembers the video, tomatoes.
1: So I I don't remember the video for this, and I have to I have to admit that I didn't watch it like before um, before we did this. So it's a really clever video, actually.
0: So it starts off with the police, as the track does, the police breaking up an illegal rave, and one of the police officers who's man handling a woman you know again police brutality is something of a theme recently which um well, let's not go into it too much shall we
1: well there's absolutely no history of that in france at all i mean obviously we're recording from the uk so you know we have this is people in glass houses but um yes. yeah the the french french police is um history particularly in the banila not not the best
0: yeah, exactly.
1: Um, so, yeah, so the police officer uh,
0: has a stain on his shirt and then it flashes immediately to someone planting a tomato plant and you see the journey of the tomato growing, being picked, being shipped, being turned into a bolognese, being eaten by the police officer and him spilling some on, it, on his shirt. It's just, it, it's
1: nuts, but I really like it. It's just a really clever video. So in, in, in terms of the song... Um... I mean, I liked it. I liked it. And I think I'm sure you're going to probably go into this bit a bit more is that the, the song itself is intended about as a commentary on the brutality of the French police towards the, the French, the French rave scene. Yeah. And I like how I like the way the way it sort of phases the breaking up of the rave it phases into the beat. Yeah, it's a good dance song. It's a really good thing. song. So, so what
0: I've written about the thing at the, at the start is Daft Punk is playing at James Murphy's house, and the
1: police are not happy about it. <laughs> I mean, we will speak about James Murphy in a bit. Um, <laughs> so, so just um, for listeners, if you if you aren't aware who James Murphy is, he is the. Well, he is LCD sound system, essentially. It's, yep. it's him and, and, and some others, others yeah. but, but it's mostly him. Yeah, so uh, you, said, you said about the, it's,
0: it's um, speaking against the, the police treatment of the rave culture in France. So I'll just read another quote from Thomas Mangelta in an interview with DMA. I don't think it's the music they're after. It's the parties. I don't know. They pretend it's drugs, but I don't think it's the only thing. There's drugs everywhere, but they probably wouldn't have a problem if the same thing was going on at a rock concert. Because that's what they understand. They don't understand this music, which is really violent and repetitive, which is house. They consider it dumb and stupid, and that speaks to and is redolent of what was going on in the UK at the back end of the eighties, early nineties, in terms of the police response to acid house scene and the uh, illegal so-called raids that were that were going on uh, through that scene.
1: Yeah, and in, in this country, it was you had obviously the the start of acid house and um, the second summer of love. And then the the state, the establishment didn't really understand this. Didn't understand these raves that were going on. So then that goes into the Criminal Justice Act and all the provisions that were put in there against the legal raves and and everything else. And there's there are people who know far far greater than this than 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 I can I can really speak to who can talk about what it was like at the time. But obviously. The French state, French state, and French establishment had a similar kind of reaction to to this flowering of dance music. So, in terms of the song itself, I, I really like it. It's so for people who
0: don't know, Thomas Bangalter in a side project a year after this album, basically uh, Stardust. The music sounds better with you. That's him, uh, and that's a that's like an all time classic house tune. I think you can see the, the genesis of that tune within this song
1: yeah i mean with without yeah you can see the you can see the dna the the genesis of that that tune within here it it's essentially builds builds upon the themes within this if you want to sound a bit a bit twaty about it but yeah that's that's what it is yeah uh, I also think this is one of the tracks where you can see how much
0: influence it had on other acts as well the likes of the chemical brothers some of the tracks off their next two albums you listen to star guitar for example, having listened to this track. And I'm sorry, you can draw you can trace a direct line it, 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 there's, there's a clear influence there,
1: yeah, and uh, I mean when we get on to rolling and scratching the you can definitely see the that that has a huge influence on or is or is certainly redolent of the of the movements across Europe at this time yeah, as well, definitely, okay, should we move on? I mean we're going on to an absolute <sighs> fucking stone. Yeah cold classic yeah absolutely right we are so da funk
0: so for as i mentioned earlier it was initially released on solar in 95 with rolling and scratching as the b-side virgin then released re-released it in 96 with as i mentioned earlier music as the b-side it's also got the same drum sample from bounce rock skate and roll it also includes a drum sample from Barry White's I'm going to love you just a little bit more baby Oh, which like again that's a funky as hell tune that's like one of the filthiest songs ever put to
1: record (laughs) I mean that that's basic it it basically has led to the uh consummation of many a relationship
0: (laughs) definitely so someone's actually put a, a, a YouTube video together with all the Tracks that are sampled on this album, like playing the playing the, the bit that's sampled from the original track, and then how that sample is used on homework. It's it's about seven or eight minutes video. It's it's a fucking brilliant video. What I'm gonna I'll tweak the link to the video because um, it's great.
1: It, I found it fascinating to, to watch this song. Like, and I will I said it before. This was very much my uh, gateway into into Daft Punk. It's an, it's just it's massive, it's funky, yep. incorporates so many different elements. I mean, so I, I like I can wax lyrical about it, but there's uh, Bob Gajarski of Westnet. I don't know what the hell Westnet is, but fair play to him. He absolutely nails the description of the song. So he he described it as a beautiful meeting of chic, circa good times without the vocals and the nineties form of electronica, because that's what it is. It is so funky. It is a beautifully layered song and the influence, like I would, I would argue it's one of the most influential dance music songs in terms of other acts, because there's so many people that you can see saw that and went, okay, right. That's what you can do. Right. Well, we'll do this. And yeah, it's, it's a it's a it's a classic it's just it is yeah i i I, it's not much more i
0: can say it's it's the beats again are absolutely huge the bass line thumps its way through the track the acid house style of the tweaking synths it's just it's perfect it's it sounds as fresh today as it did when i first heard it back in 96 i i love i love dafunk it's it's relentless is what it is it's Fucking great!
1: And the th- the thing is now, uh, Daft Punk can do a hooky song, can get a hook, and absolutely once it gets into you, then they've got you. And there are some absolute brilliant examples, not all throughout the album, but and because I think I think Discovery is is a much more um, much more accessible and hookier album. Yeah. But when they get when they find a hook and they they know they know they've got you. Its insistence, it, um, and this is what this song is. I think also as well, and as as we sort of related to before, the success of Daft Punk built upon upon the back of this song, and I'd say really importantly was the Spike Jones video for it I was, because I wanted to talk about the video because it had it just had so much MTV rotation.
0: Yeah, it did. So I, I, I'm glad you mentioned the video. I want to talk about it. So, as you said, directed by Spike Jones, who directed countless really famous music videos, Sabotage by the Beastie Boys, Crazy by Fatboy Slim, Buddy Holly by Weezer, amongst others, and then went on to direct films like Being John Malkovich and and Her. So the video, it follows uh, Charles, the anthropomorphic dog, who has just recently moved to New York. He's walking around with a massive boombox, playing this tune he uh, encounters uh, various people and uh, at the end of it he meets he bumps into an old friend who lives in the area she asks him if he want to go and get if he wants to go and get some dinner with her yeah no problem she gets onto a bus he isn't allowed on the bus because his boombox is playing and the volume switch is broken and so the video basically ends with her going off on the bus and him being left alone. It's a, it's a really sad end to the video, actually.
1: Yeah, it, I mean, just hearing the explanation of the video, like you think, why the hell did that have such heavy rotate? But it was, it was so different, and it was, it was unlike anything else that you saw. And obviously, you had this absolute stone cold classic that's playing throughout it. Yeah, it. Yeah, and it, like. Also, can you I mean, can you imagine pitching that? <laughs> so, yeah, what I want to do is like we'll sort of have your music on the video, but it's not going to be the center of it. And we'll have like an anthropomorphized dog walking around New York with a boombox. This is the man who successfully pitched a film in
0: which an office block has a portal into the head of actor John Malkovich whatever spike jones is good at it's selling an idea (laughs) (laughs) yeah i can't
1: can't, can't deny that uh all i'll say it's not the end of the story for charles the dog no it is not um so i think i think probably the the last thing that i want to say about Defung is a slight odd quirk really is the it sold more copies than the actual album. Yeah, it did. And that is both testament to, as we've both said, what
0: a Stone Cold classic it is. And also a shame that more people didn't go on to say, well, I want to listen to the whole album then.
1: Yeah, they, they liked the
0: single and that's all they wanted to hear. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to the next track, Phoenix. So again, I've been back on who whosampled.com. The main sort of vocal hook is or musical hook in the track is a sample like cut up sample of Elton John and Kiki D's don't go breaking my heart. Wow. <laughs> yep. I did not get that. No, exactly. Because it's, and it, this is something that goes throughout this album that a lot of the samples they use. And it was unlike to me, at least the way you'd heard sampling before and arguably since, that a lot of the samples they were doing were just like cut up, sped up, slowed down, cut up and mashed together. So it bears no resemblance to the original track whatsoever. But again, that
1: YouTube video, it's definitely it, it definitely is no doubt about it. So the I mean, the the note that I that I wrote for, for Phoenix, perfectly serviceable house song with a catchy bass line in the background. That's 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 really it's as far as I I, I got with it. It, it it's not i didn't think it was bad. I just it, i suppose i suppose the the problem is it's following the funk yeah so so it's yeah it's like you you're following potentially perfection
0: yeah so i've written a few things here I, I think it takes a while to get going so it's basically nearly a minute and a half one minute 25 before that hook kicks in the the beat that introduces the song uh, Sounds cruel. This it almost sounds like it's lifted from an early 90s Euro dance tune. Um, back with we're back to Benelux discos again. <laughs>
1: uh, okay, let's uh listen to this um great song now. <laughs> uh, okay, it's uh, Daft Punk on the radio.
0: <laughs> However, like right, that's so, those are the things the, the things I say against it. Once the main hook kicks in, I'm transported back to a dance floor on a Shitty nightclub in Shrewsbury in 1998. I I, I really like this. I, I, I'll go back and talk about the way they cut the samples up so that it's, it doesn't, you can't tell what song it's from. And I relate that to, you know, you fast forward five or six years and you've got the likes of Eric Prids just basically sampling, uh, uh, you know, classic songs from the 80s and sticking a house beat underneath it. With to me at least, I'm sorry, but no imagination whatsoever. This is different. This is something completely innovative. And for that, I really love this track.
1: I mean, even even though I'm not not as as effusive in my praise of, of this of this track as you have been, to tell me that that this is Elton John and Kiki D's don't go breaking my heart. I mean, you have to even if you don't particularly like the music, just the sheer craft, because you cannot see you cannot see the genesis of wh- where that's come from at all, and so they have created a entirely new piece of art from the bits of something else, and that it, that it, just in itself is an impressive feat. It, it, yeah, it is, and there's plenty more where that came from on some
0: of the tracks that are to come about <laughs> samples. So, with that, let's move
1: on to fresh. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in. I really like fresh. It's I suppose it's it's a much more kind of dreamier psychedelic kind of like dance song that you can kind of lose yourself in. It's got the the waves. It's got the sustained guitar kind of coming in and going out, and it's lovely. It's lovely, and it's um, it makes it like when I was listening to it, it kind of made me think like it was sort of six o'clock in the morning after a massive. Massive party like <laughs> on the beach in Ibiza, um just sort of trying to recover. So once again, I we don't compare notes before we write these before we
0: record these shows, but I'm gonna I'm gonna read one of my notes. It's like I'm on a beach on a Mediterranean island watching the sun come up after a massive party. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I love I love it with the it's as you said, it starts with the waves and then that sort of guitar-y organ-y distortion part coming in and going out again the beat is it's it's so stardust It the samples so this one has cut up samples of um Viola Willis's track If You Leave Me Now (laughs) (laughs) exactly it's it's great it's a
1: gorgeous gorgeous track yeah it's I mean the, the I can't really add to it it's because we we came to exactly the same conclusion <laughs> um entirely separately it's it's great it, it is exactly what you what you want
0: yep so I mentioned earlier that the end of Dafunk is not the end of Charles the dog story can I talk about the video to this you can okay oh, a couple of facts first the video was directed by the band themselves and it was featured on a 1999 video collection called Daft, a story about dogs, androids, firemen, and tomatoes. Um, It basically plays out as a sequel to the DaFunk video. It starts with Charles the dog on a beach, and he's filming a scene for a movie that he's in. The movie is directed by Spike Jones, so he cameos in the video as the director of, of the movie. Charles is trying to get some tips off Spike Jones, but he's preoccupied with phone calls and stuff. And then when he leaves the set, He's greeted by Beatrice, who is the girl he met in the DaFunk video. Uh, and they drive off in her absolutely gorgeous Mercedes convertible discussing where they're going to go for dinner. Uh, and apparently, according to the DVD commentary, the band said they decided to make that video because fans thought the end to the video of DaFunk had been too depressing.
1: I just think that's really nice. Yeah, they, they gave they gave the people what they wanted. Yep, I'm okay with that.
0: Uh, yeah, nothing else to say. Really nice song. Okay, and then we move on to Around the World, which
1: is probably the best known track on the album. Yeah, I would I would I would say it's it's probably better known than Defunk. The and it's you know it's such a simple but catchy mm-hmm. song. It, you know it it uses five. What five instruments in it that are just repeated in different in different ways? It's got an absolute boss bass to it. Yeah. Well, because I just want to talk about the bass. So you you
0: said earlier about Da Funk and the guy commenting, and it sounded like she. The bass line in this is definitely inspired by Good Times by She. Oh God.
1: Yeah. The, there is no question about that, and I do have a quote about this um, from. James Murphy of L C D Sound System. Yeah, in go on. So he said, I liked how wimpy around the world was. It was everything I hated and I couldn't resist it. What a fucking track. <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's right, because like and it, like initially, like so the first time I heard it, it was like, Yeah, okay. And it I, I suppose it's, it's sheer insistence. Mm-hmm. Get you. That's what gets you. And like it's something I mean, I'm uh I'm I am i am i do not know if you've got this note. It's Around the world's repeated about one hundred and thirty-five times, or something along those lines. I've heard deeper songs lyrically. I have to say, <laughs> <laughs> but like the the simplicity and the hook, like that's that's the thing. Like when, as I said, when we were talking about the funk, when they get a hook, when they know, oh god, yeah, they, they find something. It absolutely gets you, and you
0: yeah, well, I it, I think one of the sorry to cut across you. I think one of the best things about this track is that it's got multiple hooks layered over each other. Yeah. The bass line, the synth part, the guitar part, the vocals themselves.
1: You can pick any one of them and go, bunk, 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 bunk. any one of them will stick in your head. It's, it's genius. Well, and I mean, uh, again, I, I apologize if I, if I steal your, your thunder, a, a wee touch, Th- there's clearly a death to popcorn. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> yes there is it, it, within within this within this song and um, again popcorn is a, is a incredibly simplistic. well simplistic is, it sounds like i'm damning it with faint praise so it's just because something simple doesn't mean that it's bad like and round the world has a simplicity to it but it's a simpli- it it's a complex simplicity that's the only way i can really describe it which I, which i know it, is it, <laughs> quite the anachronism but i I think yeah that's that's the only way i can i
0: think it's a really good way of describing it to me it's perfect house music i said this i said that about da funk i'll say it again now it's perfect yeah i I have no fault with this song whatsoever i want to talk about the video again
1: (laughs) Michel grandry
0: well let's just so this is it so 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 far you've you've had uh roma coppola spike jones Now you've got Michel Gondry. So Michel Gondry would go on to direct, among other things, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and the uh, film adaptation of The Green Hornet starring Seth Rogen. (laughs) So I want to just read a quote from Michel Gondry and then sort of describe how he built the video up. So what he said is, this was my first try of doing choreography I was sick of seeing choreography being mistreated in videos like filler with fast cutting and fast editing really shallow. I don't think choreography should be shot in close-ups. So what he did with the video is he had it all effectively as a one-shot. The platform, I mean, surely everyone's seen this video.
1: Like, again, if if you've ever, if you stumbled across MTV in the 90s, you will have seen this video. You can't have avoided it. Yeah, and if you haven't
0: seen the video, go onto YouTube and watch it now and come back in five minutes. Welcome back. What a great video. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. The video is choreographed to be a visual representation of the song. The platform itself represents a vinyl record. The robots are the vocoded vocal tracks saying around the world. The athletes, uh, you know, with their physical movements, represent the bass. The disco girls are the high-pitched synth sound. And the skeletons are dancing to that funky wah-wah guitar riff. Oh, oh, and sorry, and then there's the mummies dancing around to the rhythm of of the beat. It's just magnificent. It's a a perfect video to a perfect house song. Yeah,
1: it's brilliant. And again, like, I I suppose the the video reflects... A complex simplicity. So you've got five elements that are inter interwoven together, which create create a much greater whole. Yes, indeed.
0: All right. So shall we? I think we've waxed lyrical enough about around the world. So should we move on to Rolling and Scratching? Yeah, sure. Okay. So not much to say in terms of facts about this song. As I mentioned earlier, this was originally the B side to the Soma release of Da Funk. The song is sampled as our basically most of the rest of the songs on this album, the LCD sound system track, Daft Punk is playing at my house, which we referred to earlier. Soul Wax, another great um, Euro electro duo. They uh, did a remix of that track. And this is one of the tracks sampled in that. It's a great remix, by the way. It's called the Shibuya remix. Go and listen to it. It's brilliant. So this, I think, is one of the tracks that you can tell was not intended to be part of an album, if that makes
1: sense. Yeah. So, so what, what I've noted, what I've noted down is that it's heavy beats with what I describe as an insistent electro undertone. Mm -hmm. And thus far, given this is, I suppose the most redolent of the scene they've come from thus far, it's the hardest, it's the hardest track we've heard so far. The most, for want of a better phrase the danciest track thus far and i i mean i, I, do, I do really like it but it i i suppose it jars a bit after round the world which is much which has a much more pop sensibility to it this is like quite the jolt into something quite much harder really you're right
0: i've written so again it takes a little while to get started and it is very jarring considering well you know not just that you've just come off around the world but you've had fresh and then around the world this is really a very different sound like you said the resonance of the scene they've come from I gotta say it's absolutely filthy I love it <laughs> and and the fact that it goes just when you think it's drawing to a close no 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 we come back for more I like it a lot
1: yeah I, I mean I've, i I do really I do really like it Okay, shall we move on to Teachers? Yeah, um, an interesting song. It is an interesting
0: song, both in terms of what it's saying and its style. So I'll say a little bit, so it's basically an homage to the people who were inspirational to them. So amongst several names referenced within the vocals are Pioneer of Chicago House Music DJ Funk, Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys, George Clinton of Funkadelica and Parliament, hip-hop legend Dr. Dre, uh, Dave Clark from the Dave Clark Five is also name-called in this track, as is uh, American house legend Armand Van Helden, who actually uh, as a B-side to the 12-inch version of Da Funk did a remix of it called 10 Minutes of Funk. It's exactly 10 minutes long and it's great.
1: (laughs) Yeah, the I mean there's and they they also pay homage to uh some of the the European influences as well that uh so one of the names that shouted out to me was uh Lil Louis, who mm-hmm. responsible for the uh, the classic um the classic track uh, French Kiss. So yeah, the, I mean there's there's so ma- there's so many people referenced on it. I mean in terms of it being a song, as such, um, you could like you could be a little little critical of it. It's not really a song. It's it. I mean, it's, it's a list of names. It's a list
0: of names. I mean, it's. I mean, it's. It's not. It's not quite as bad as as uh, American Badass by Kid Rock, in which he just lists a load of things he likes.
1: Or or Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire, which is essentially a list of things that happened since 1950. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Very true,
0: <laughs> but yeah I, I know what you're saying it's all right I, the vocals the way the like this sort of dual like computerized and vocalized high pitch vocals sounds weird i love the bass line I, like bootsy collins is really loving that bass line
1: I, I mean what what i will say about the song is i don't i don't like it but i respect what they've done they're paying paying homage to all these innovators and people who've influenced them that's a good thing to do so whilst i'm not going to stick teachers on <laughs> like as a as a thing like unless i'm just playing the album i still respect the the thought that's got into that
0: yeah agreed uh the Last thing I'll say is this is another one which has a heavily cut-up sample of If You Leave Me Now by Viola Willis. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, and on on we go to high fidelity. And sorry, I'm going to do it again. This one has got cut-up samples from Billy Joel's Just The Way You Are.
1: So I had I had that noted down because, <laughs> okay. because of all the things that I'm going to note, it's definitely... Like, it's definitely something like that. You're not a fan of Billy Joel. Uh, I mean, what I, I will hold my hand up and say that I, I don't. I'm I'm not hugely knowledgeable of his entire oeuvre, but what I have heard, I am not a fan of. <laughs> That's fair enough. Yeah, it. I mean, it's it, it's a, it's a good dance track. Um, I, for me, I didn't find it especially memorable um It's it's fine. Yeah, I've written something
0: similar. It, it's not my favorite track on the album. I think the way the samples are used is really clever, as I've said on earlier tracks. I like the way that throughout it there's very good use of a modulation effect, so it creates the sound of being in a club listening to a DJ set. I, I like that. But yeah, it's it's not my favorite song on the album, so I, I'm happy to move on. Yeah, cool. Okay, rock and roll. This is, and I'm going to use a phrase that, are, that is becoming more and more common parlance. This is the most Marmite track on the album.
1: So what, what I will say, it's so similar to Rolling Scratching. It's, it's very, it's a hard dance track. Initially, like, so, I'd, like, in my notes, I had, initially, this sounds like uh, Mr. Wazzo. Uh, what is it? Flat, Flat Eric. Flat Eric. Um, yeah, it, like, honestly, that came to mind. I think it was right actually way? called Flatbeat. Flatbeat. And the character was Flat Eric. Ah, right, okay. I'm going to quote from Reef Eunice, who was writing in Clash Mag about, um, about Discovery. He said, uh, compared to the requisite polish of Discovery and human after all, what makes what made and makes homework essential is that it retains all the raw, reckless rave elements of the time. And if you're looking for that rawness, Rock and roll has it's it's a raw dance track. Like mm-hmm. so I can understand why you said that it's marmite. I like it. I really like I it. I can understand why I can understand why people really would take a guinea because it's it is quite hard. It's hard. Yeah, so I've and I I've written basically the same thing. I've said if you like relentless driving
0: house music with Wailing Synths, then this is definitely for you. And I'm in that, I'm in that group. I fucking love this. If you don't like that sort of music, then it might be one for you to skip. I really like it. You really like it. We can understand where there's as well. I, I don't really yeah. have anything else to say.
1: No, like it's it's one of them. You're either gonna you are either gonna like it or not.
0: And on we go to oh yeah, which I've said earlier about the compilation of the album, and you can you can see that they hadn't quite mastered the art of album craft. I don't think it's more prevalent anywhere on the album than on this track.
1: I don't see what it adds. It doesn't go anywhere. So, again, interestingly enough, my my only note on "Oh Yeah." So I made one note, and it's like, I'm not a huge fan of it. it. Doesn't really do anything for me. It doesn't go anywhere. It's it's a bit nothing. It's it's classic album filler. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's it's a rare low point. And
0: it doesn't give me anything that the previous three tracks haven't already given me, and in a far more enjoyable way. So let's move on. Yeah. Burning. This samples a song called Freaky Behaviour by the Barkays. A really funky tune. Go and listen to that one. And after a low point in Oh Yeah, we are
1: right back up again. Oh, God. I mean, the the funky bass line in this, it's absolute and it's it's the absolute heart of the core of the song it's brilliant it's it's brilliant i think for me i wanted i wanted the heavier i wanted the baseline turned up a bit in the mix I, I think for me that that would be my only criticism is that i just wanted it a bit heavier a bit a bit higher up but that's the only thing i would really criticize about it it's it's a cracker so this is uh, i can
0: see your point there and uh, yeah, the bass is perhaps a bass. Excuse me, is perhaps a little bit understated, considering how heavy the bass is on some of the earlier tracks. And we talked about it on Dafunk in, in particular. It's another one with the bass line uh, I've written, where Bootsy Collins is somewhere nodding in approval. <laughs> um, it's. I, I actually think if they'd just removed, oh yeah, I think this would follow on really well from rock and roll. So you've got the wailing synth sound on rock and roll and you've got the sort of siren like whoosh sound throughout this anyway yeah all the only other thing i've written and i'll talk a little bit about the video the only thing i've written about the track is basement jacks were obviously paying close attention to this when they wrote red alert
1: (laughs) yeah i I mean as as we've said that this is an incredibly influential album and yeah you you can clearly see that this was the um, Antecedent to, um, to to certainly that and and other other similar songs as well. Nice word. So, just
0: very quickly on the video, uh, I haven't noted down who directed this video, unfortunately. Roman Coppola. It's Roman Coppola again, is it? Well, there you it go. Is, yes, there you go. Thank you. Um, so it's it starts off a boy playing with a toy fire engine, and whilst his dad's cooking a barbecue, he then imagines that. He is grown up, he is a fireman, and he is putting out a fire that has broken out at a massive tower block, uh, rescuing a load of partygoers who are uh, partying on one of the higher floors. Basically, like Towering Inferno, I really like the video, and I think it uh, adds to the song. It's great.
1: I mean, I've not seen the video, but if, it's, uh, if it certainly has references to Towering Inferno, then I'm, I'm right behind it, because Towering Inferno is a fucking great film. Yes, it is i mean that that adds nothing to the um to the music critique that we're doing but like i really like towering inferno it's a really good film. i like towering inferno a lot as well and uh it's a good sunday afternoon film oh yeah
0: oh yeah i mean paul newman steve mcqueen like what more could you ask
1: exactly anyway the, this is this is not film clash yeah. right
0: <laughs> um on two we are racing towards the end of the album. Indo Silver Club. This was originally released as a single on SOMA and it did not have an artist credit on the single release. And that led people to think that the song title was the artist, that it was by Indo Silver Club. The version that appears on Homework is the B-side, Indo Silver Club Part 2. The main lick in the track, this is another one with a mad cut-up sample. It's Karen Young's Hot Shot. I really like this as like, I like There's There's an irregular beat to it. Um, Not just your classic repetitive house beat. The bass again is absolutely massive. There's a nice bit of sort of weird pitch bending synth.
1: It's a nice bit of variety on it. I like, I like it a lot. So amazingly, because usually we are often in lockstep when so for me, I noted, not bad, not great. It, it passed me by. Mm, okay. Yeah, like, it's fine. Like, and that, that, that is very much damning with fame praise. It, it didn't, it just never really got its hooks into me. So are you,
0: uh, so this album's 73 minutes long. Are you by this
1: point suffering from a little bit of beat fatigue? I think I think that might be might be because it, it, it is a it's a long old album, mm. and by this point, maybe I needed something a bit different, something that that really stands stands out. And Indo Silver Club just it, it just didn't just didn't work for me. Okay, okay. I mean, we disagree. I, I, it's certainly not my favorite
0: track on the album, but I do really like it. I think. My only criticism is it ends quite abruptly. Actually, I'd, I'd I'd quite happily have it go on for a little bit longer. It's um, you know four and a half minutes for a for a house track. It's that's not that long. I I really like it, but but as I said, it's a long old album. There's been a fair few uh, certainly up to Burning a fair few really heavy house tracks, and I can well appreciate if you're a bit worn out. By listening to massive bass lines and heavy beats. So, fair enough.
1: Yeah. Um, as I say, it, it, I, it just it, it, ne- it never it never got its hooks into me. However, when we get into the next tune, I have a very different opinion. Okay.
0: Well, I'm glad you said that because I've said, and they say the biggest beat of all for last. Alive is the, uh, well, it's the penultimate track on the album, but it's really the the last song on the album as we'll come to it's it's colossal is what this is huge yeah i absolutely love it just a little bit of a fact before we talk about the track a bit more so i mentioned earlier that the first single or ep they released on soma was called the new wave um this is basically the final version of the new wave so uh was not in that respect a new track but oh, wow, it's just, this is, it's, it's so underworld. It's
1: massive. I love it. So for me, um, so I'll, I'll read sort of my notes as, as I, as I wrote them verbatim. So ominous sounding intro be- begins to build, reminds me of left field. Okay. It's huge. Yeah. It's massive. Oh my God. How big is this tune? Possibly after Defung, it's the best song on the album, and um, I like. I'm putting it ahead of Round the World. We're not doing best song, worst song yet, but um,
0: yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's. I love. There's loads of reverb on it. It's it's it. it it's got a festival sound to it. If yeah, it, in the same way that, although a completely different sounding record, sort of reason was by Pulp has got a festival sound on that track because it's got loads of reverb on everything. So is this. I mean, you can almost, you almost want to pick up an air horn or a whistle. (laughs) (laughs) The only thing that's, it's a real shame. It's not a couple of minutes longer. You know what you've got, we talked about, Oh yeah, which neither of us particularly liked rock and roll is seven plus minutes. I'd rather this be seven plus minutes.
1: Yeah, I could do with it a little bit more. And given the uh, the ending of the album, you can drop that and give us a little bit more to this, really. Yes, indeed. So uh, and on that note, shall
0: we go on to the ending of the album?
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's fine.
0: The, the ending of the album is ad funk, and literally all I've written is it's just 51 seconds of da funk played backwards.
1: Yeah, it's entirely throwaway. Uh, so that brings us
0: to the end of... A homework 16 tracks a long odd album as we said 73 minutes 53 seconds but yeah so as we usually do I'll just take us a bit through legacy in terms of sales but also influence and things like that so uh, it debuted at number eight in the UK album chart number three in France and it charted on the US Billboard 200 chart it's been certified gold in the Netherlands and the USA. Platinum in Belgium, France, New Zealand and the UK and two times platinum in Canada. By October of 1997, so what, nine months after the album's release, over 220,000 copies had been sold worldwide. And by February 2001, over two million copies had been sold worldwide. So
1: <laughs> you said that it had gone two times platinum in um in Canada was that was the majority of the sales within Quebec <laughs> it's also big amongst the moose population
0: of Saskatchewan <laughs> <laughs> I apologize profusely to any Canadian listeners Particularly residents of Saskatchewan. I mean, it's Im- ambitious of me to think that this podcast will be popular enough that people in Saskatchewan want to listen to it. But even so, I apologise. I'm sure your mu- your moose have very diverse music tastes.
1: I mean, I, I'm I'm just very impressed by your multiple pronunciations of Saskatchewan. After <laughs> I'm, I'm not how many I'm not sure how many beers you've had at this point, but like fair play, like you've you've had a you've had a good old go. Um,
0: okay, so. I just want to read some of the comments from, well, some of the reviews. Chris Power in the B- for the BBC said that Homework could have been a superb 40-minute album, but at almost twice that length, there are definite longers. I can see the point he's making. I, there is a fair point there. It, it, yeah, it, it is a fair point there. I think it might have been too short at 40 minutes, but I, I like a drawn-out overly long song, so who am I to talk In the book, 1001 Albums to Hear Before You Die, author Alex Rayner said it ties the established club styles to the burgeoning eclecticism of Big Beat. I'd agree with that.
1: Sorry, it's the reference to the club style, which uh, reminds me of Vic Reeves.
0: (laughs) Yours is better than mine. Yours makes the edit, mine doesn't. That's fine. (laughs) The review from the Village Review, again, a great title for a publication, said the album revived house music and departed from the Eurodance formula. It, it absolutely did. And I will, when we do the verdicts on these two albums, I'll come back to this. But again, you're in early 97. So just consider where you were with Eurodance. And this is a complete, I'm sorry to use the phrase, paradigm shift.
1: So I've got quite a long quote that, but I think it's, I think it's quite so, and it's not, it's not from a source that I would normally go to, but um, Angus Harrison in Vice, and he wrote really well about homework uh, in the last couple of years, because obviously there's been anniversaries and stuff. So I will, I will start. Um, Homework remains to this day. One of the boldest statements of intent ever released is a mischievous, irreverent, rough-hewn album that could be comfortably punk as much as it could be funk. In terms of classic albums, it's hard to call Homework perfect. It's not the sort of album that deserves canonising on the grounds of aesthetic completion. Instead, Homework is something else entirely, an indelible, immovable, fixed point in culture, a joyous, spunky, youthful expression, and overexcited noise. I think that is an absolutely brilliant encapsulation of Homework.
0: Yeah, it is perfect, actually.
1: And sums up my feelings pretty brilliantly. It, it is it is so red redolent and reminiscent of of the era, and it's it's one of those it's one of those albums that is equally forward looking and of its time. That there are you can see how it influences so many people going forward, whilst also bringing so some of the harder elements bringing in that like particularly Euro rave culture that, that had grown up and it kind of sticks its flag into the, into the ground for that, that kind of stuff, but also pointing to where dance music and dance culture is going to in the future.
0: Yeah, you're right. You're okay. So I'll, I was going to save this till, till next week when we do the the scoring, but I'll, I want to, I'll say it now because you've led on to it from that, that quote. As I said, this is January 97. You are, less than a year on from Robert Miles becoming inexplicably popular with children. Do, do, (sighs) do. You you are in the same year as Sash releases Encore Une Fois. So that's what's going on in European house music at the time. And listen, I'm sorry if that's your thing, then fair enough, but I fucking hated it at the time and I hate it more now. It's dreadful as far as I'm concerned, this not only set European dance music, European house music, whatever you want to call it, on a a far more accessible path, far more credible path is probably a better way of saying it, but as we've said earlier, it influenced an entire culture, not on its own. So you've got a lot of keystones over the couple of years previous to this the Chemical Brothers doing collaborations with the likes of Tim Burgess and Noel Gallagher was undoubtedly a huge thing. The success of the Prodigies, "Fat of the, Fat land, of the album, land," definitely, absolutely. The soundtrack to um, "Train Spotting" and, in particular, "Born Slippy" by Underworld are massive aspects of this. But Homework deserves its place alongside those as something which took dance culture from something which was. Even to be fair, by the mid '90s, very popular to being absolutely the mainstream thing for the next, arguably, ten years.
1: I mean, homework particularly more so around the world than the funk, and obviously Dis- the the discovery album as well. What it did is it made dance dance music pop, and that that was the the key to it. Yeah, one hundred percent. So
0: before we go to best song, worst song. There's one more quote I want to read. (laughs) So you'll remember when we went through Amazing Grace, I quoted Robert Criscow and his view of Amazing Grace. Who was wrong. So I just want to, and this isn't the last time we're going to hear from him on this clash, by the way. Sorry. So he branded Dafunk as a choice cut, indicating that it was a good song on an album that isn't worth your time or your money. So the first thing I'd say is we're not talking about stakes, Robert. It's music. Okay. Choice cuts, piss off. Secondly, no, sorry. You've just made the list. And, and my list has one name on it. And unfortunately, mate, it's yours. So any album we review now I'm going to look at what he said about
1: it. Yeah, I think we should. I think we should always reference what he says because he is <laughs> he is universally wrong. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> um, all right. The final thing I want to say, uh, just a simple fact: in 2012, Rolling Stone voted this as number one in their 30 greatest EDM stands for electronic dance music albums of all time. Now, whilst I wouldn't quite put it that highly. I think it, you know, a magazine like Rolling Stone to recognise it like that speaks to the influence it's had.
1: Yeah, I I it's similar to you, I wouldn't necessarily agree with with that, but yeah, the recognizing its its import um in such a, a well-known and established organ as the um Rolling Stone obviously speaks to the influence of this album.
0: Okay, so I guess the only order of business that's left for us to complete is to go best song, worst song. So, Kevin, what's your favourite song? What's your least favourite song? So,
1: uh, essentially, we've already shown our hands <laughs> <laughs> again. Yeah, again. Like, shocking for the listeners. The um, funk is the best song on the album. It's a, it's a class. It it is a stone cold classic. Strong mentions, obviously, for alive as well, which I, which I really like. Um, the worst song on the album, I think, for me, it's probably like saying saying teachers would be harsh because obviously I respect what that's doing. So it's oh yeah, um, is for me it's the it's it's the weakest song really on the album. So I have I have no disagreement whatsoever
0: with what you've said. Sorry, we, we we started this podcast with the idea of bringing some debate in and something that listeners could to engage with. We we just agree. With There's it absolutely
1: right? no clash
0: going on no. at all. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, Daft Punk is still my favourite Daft Punk track after all these years. It is uh, like you, I'd say, alive. Deserves uh, special recognition, as does Fresh. I love both of those. Yeah, uh, and yeah, oh yeah. I, I don't, I don't see what it adds. I think it's entirely disposable. And I think, um, as I said earlier, if you made a live two minutes longer and got rid of that altogether, I'd be more than happy. So, yeah, that's where we are.
1: Yeah, I, I cannot disagree with any of the sentiments there. Well, because they're exactly the same as mine, so that's why I can't.
0: All right, so I guess that brings us to the end of this week's show.
1: So next week, kev, you will be taking us through moon Safari, correct? I will be um, and i'm I'm looking forward to it it's a it's an exciting album to to review really Yeah, absolutely it is uh,
0: so I guess all that's left today is as usual kev. do you want to just remind people how
1: they can keep in touch with us so. If you are so inclined and you like memes of uh, giant boats getting stuck in the Suez Canal, you can uh, find us on uh, our Twitter account, which is at Clash Album. Um, if you generally are that way inclined, you could also find us on Instagram at Clash Album. Or if you are resolutely old school, you can find us at, on our email address, albumclash at gmail.com. So if you have any comments, any potential clashes that we could do in the future, um, or any ways that I can introduce this bit, because I will eventually run out of ridiculous introductions. And please, please help, because I, I will be running dry soon. Do you think we should also get a P.O. box number? to go like 80s like blue peter um yeah but we'd also need to get a garden that les Ferdinand could um, (laughs) could vandalize uh no yeah absolutely um please
0: keep in touch with us as i always say uh if you would like to subscribe to the show on whichever platform it is or in fact even better multiple podcast platforms even better leave reviews like and subscribe and then just say say we're boss even like, if you think we're shy to just save a boss anyway, because it then allows more people to listen to us and abuse us like you want to.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, what? Like, if you're really annoyed by us, then be a troll. Like, in, ensure that more people in the world are annoyed by us two idiots. That's the option that you have. Take it up. <laughs> I mean, where else are you going to get
0: invited to abuse us in sickening and distasteful ways exactly <laughs> okay <So> on, that. <laughs> on that note uh that's pretty much the end of today's show so yeah thank you very much for listening i've been tim i've been kev and we'll see you next time ta-ra, ta-ra.